Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you as well, Father, that we get a chance to dig into your word and to know more about you. It is with this in mind, Lord, that we come into this place acknowledging that we may not have ears to hear, but we ask that you give them to us. We may not have eyes to comprehend what you have to say, but would you give us those eyes? Our minds may not have the kind of focus and concentration because of the week we have. God, would you give us that concentration? Our hearts might be heavy for all types of different reasons. God, would you fill our hearts today, Lord? We might receive from you and know you more. Be ever present, Lord, as we speak your word and we ask that your spirit would change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching on the kingdom of God. And as he's teaching on the kingdom of God, he's talked about the fact that you can't serve two masters. He talks about the fact that you are unable to uh, have riches that will follow you into eternity. In essence, he's trying to get them to understand eternal perspective. Then in Matthew chapter 6, while he's teaching on the kingdom of God, giving them eternal perspective, he says something very powerful. He says, look at the birds. He takes this moment of thinking, getting them to think about creation. He says very simply, they don't, uh, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. It is these, it is these birds that do not put in the kind of work where they would need a reward. In fact, he says, birds are fed from your heavenly father. He's trying to get them to see that they are well taken care of by a father. They're, they're going to be well fed. They're going to be fine. No need to be anxious about the resources they have. What Jesus was trying to get them to not think about was the actual scarcity that they lived amongst. Jesus was an oppressed Jewish man living under Roman oppression. Jesus, when you look at his life, he was a homeless man. Jesus himself would say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have necks. The son of man has no place to lay his head. If anyone knows about scarcity, it's Jesus. He knows about what it's like to be in lack, to have nothing, to be fatherless, to live in the pain of oppression. And yet, what Jesus was doing, he was trying to get them out of a mentality that we all tend to have. Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about this idea of a scarcity mindset. And what scarcity does, it is this presumption that we only have just so much. If you were to look at a piece of pie, it's that I only get one piece of the pie and there's nothing left. And if someone takes a big piece, that's less for me. A scarcity mindset always gets you to think about the limitations of your resources. It is with that mindset that you end up having fear, fear of missing out, fear of not having enough, 
fear of trying to be like other people, this fear that coats everything that you do is like a script running through your mind. That is what Jesus was dealing with his, his disciples, and that is what we deal with ourselves. The script that runs throughout our minds. <clears throat> you think about your goals. Think about how you're setting up the new year. You've thought about your year. It's kind of the way we think. We review the year. And you think, man, I don't have enough time. So what do we say? I got to make more time. I need to make more time for my family. I need to make more time to work out. I need to make more time for my friends. I need to make more time to think about investments and all these other things. I need more time. So we put the pressure on ourselves. We think about money. I need more. You know, we, uh, at this age right now, I think I should be buying a home. I feel like I should have this certain level of income. So I need to do more on my job in order to get more resources. I need more. You think about your energy. Oh, man, I'm so tired all the time. I got to start drinking more water. Praise God. I need, I, need, I need to eat more fruit. Yeah. You know, you think about all these different things that you need to do. I need to now recoup the energy because at the end of the day, I'm dead. I'm depleted. I have nothing left. I have to do something about this. I don't have enough contacts. I need a larger network. I mean, if I'm going to see doors open and I see opportunity, I need a network that's larger than what I currently have. So I need to talk to the right people. I need to make sure that I DM some folks. I need to make sure I go to this, you know, this, this, this resourcing uh, networking party so I can talk to some people because I need more and I don't have enough and I've, I've got to make it happen. You see, the scarcity mindset isn't based on the fact that you have a problem. The scarcity mindset is you take problems and you create internalized pressure. And that internalized pressure is based upon your limited resources. You see, every problem that we have is intended to be an opportunity based in a request unto an unlimited God. But when you look at your limited self and try to get something from a limited self, you end up causing anxiety because you know you. You already know you're limited. Think about this. You're sitting in the mirror like, I got to make time. Knowing you can't make time. You failed yourself so many times. That's why you have anxiety. You're like, you know, I can do it. Meanwhile, you're looking at you like, you know you can't do it. <laughs> Literally, this is the conversation you have with yourself. New year, new me. You be looking at new year, old me. Same, same me. <laughs> New Year. You, I mean, you have this world that you live in because you're trying to listen to podcasts, you're reading books, you've got motivation over here on every element of social media. There's all these people telling you you can do it. But then the problem isn't all those resources. The problem is you haven't contacted the source, right? That you haven't, that, that you've not really got engaged with the one who actually makes time. See, in other words, you will either, the Bible in Malachi talks about, if you give unto the Lord, here's what he says. He says, I will open up a window from heaven. Think of the imagery of a window in heaven, a window where he can pour out blessing. And you will either look up at the window of unlimited resources, or you will look in the mirror of a limited person. And you will say to yourself, I got to do it. I got to make it happen. 
This is the pressure that we place on ourselves. Not, not only to mention the world we live in, but the city we live in. Because the city we live in is always pressuring you to do more, to have more, to be better. Even, even the imagery of Jesus saying, look at the birds of the air. I mean, we would be like, look at the rats on the ground. <laughs> they work so hard. Like, we, we, don't, we just don't get a chance to just embrace creation. Right? Everything around us is just wilding out. And like, there's literally days on the train, you're just like, I can't believe I live here. This, this place is crazy. So the pressure is mixed with the environment. And the environment is all based on human initiative. The minute you walk out the house, it, the, 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 the very environment is telling you, you got to do more. And so if you only let the environment dictate your inner world, you will have new plans with the same results. One of the things you have to understand is we are not people of scarcity. We're always people of abundance. Here's what I mean by that. When we talk about abundance, we're talking about overflowing with good things. But you are always overflowing with something. You're either overwhelmed, over-anxious. You're filled with fear. You're filled with doubt. And people can feel it because it's flowing out of you. Everything inside of you is flowing out of you. You're always operating from abundance. The question is what's in you, what's flowing out of you. And so what we're not talking about is operating in a new way. We're talking about having new content that defines how you operate from day to day. The story of Elijah, there's this incredible moment where they come to the man of God and this, this man comes to him and he gives to him 20 loaves. In giving him 20 loaves, Elisha decides in 2 Kings <clears throat> that he wants to give out these loaves to people and serve them with the loaves. He says, let's take these 20 loaves and serve. And his servant in 2 Kings 4, 43, his servant says, how can I set this before how many? A hundred men. This probably reminds you of the stories all throughout the Gospels of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a fish and a loaf, right? And it's the similar idea. The, the servant is sitting there. He sees 20 loaves, and Elisha says, serve 100 men. And the, the servant is like us. He does simple math. I can't get these 20 loaves into the mouths of 100 people. Elisha says to him in verse 43, give to the men, give them to the men that they may eat for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. Elisha concentrated on the resources of the unlimited resource of the abundant God as opposed to the limited resources of limited people. Jesus does the same thing. If he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then, he, and then it's abundant. There's more fish and loaves left over for the disciples. There was more than enough. God has more than enough. 
And that is the imagery that the Lord wants us to see in these passages. And that's what we're going to be concentrating on in these four weeks in this series. The scarcity mindset is crushing you. It's crushing you because your mind is always working overtime, thinking about you, overstressed, overwhelmed. As we think about this series, we'll be fasting. And as we fast, we want you to take time to consider, again, we start January 17th, we want you to take time to consider, what is it that I need to do to have a higher concentration on the Lord in the midst of, in the midst of crisis, in the tensions? Some of you all will fast from social media. Some of you all will have certain foods you fast from. Some of you all may need to, to pull away from certain people in your life. But you're thinking about what those influences are. What we want for you is to have so much of God in you that that's what overflows. We want you to move from being overwhelmed to overflowing. Oh, abundance is about overflow. Think about words like bounty, surplus, abundance, having more than enough. You think about uh, the world we live in. COVID-19 has been just an incredible thing for us. Uh, lots of tension, long lines to get a test. The tests, do they work? It's been really tense. You know what we haven't run out of? Air. Can you think for a second if we had an air shortage? You go to the gym and somebody be on the treadmill, be like, hey, 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 slow down. Okay, only so much air to go around, buddy. Thank you. Imagine if we had an air shortage. Our whole mindset would be different. We would look at people under that mask crazy, crazy. You think, you think they look at you crazy when you cough? Think about breathing too hard. That would be incredible. We've never had that thought run through our mind because we know we have the unlimited source of oxygen. And so it's really about a mentality, about what do you have more than enough of. Psalm 23, if you'd go there with me. Psalm 23, I just want to look at two parts of this. And I want to be practical in this message because I want this to really be something that you're able to have as a posture and a lifestyle. Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. David, if you know anything about David, you know that David is formerly a shepherd boy. And so when you see the Lord is my shepherd, obviously you know David is using that as an analogy to think about the way that he operates in his relationship with God. And then he says that the Lord lies him down, i.e. gives him rest and leads him to water, leads him to the place of having a soul restored. In this description of being one of his sheep, 
It is very instructional for us to understand that David has spent his time looking at sheep and knowing what they're like. And if you've spent any time in a church or if you've spent any time in Bible study, you know that giving yourself the imagery of being someone's sheep is actually pejorative because sheep cannot manage their own lives. You will find a wild everything. You might have a wild horse, but you will not find wild sheep. You see, because if a horse has someone to train them, they'll go in the right direction. But if sheep don't have a shepherd, they will die. Because sheep oftentimes will eat things that are poisonous. And the desert is filled with things that would eat them alive and places where there's supposed to be water, but it might be drought. And they do not have the mental faculties to find water on their own. So they must be dependent on the shepherd. They get lost. They wander. They have no clue where they're going. They are aimless without the shepherd, not the horse. And the question first, before we talk about him being your Lord, the question is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the horse who has aim or the sheep that is aimless? that needs someone to give them moment-by-moment direction and clarity. That's how David sees his relationship with God. It's with that in mind that he says in Psalm 23 and 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David in the psalm is taking this incredible image of a shepherd, and then he moves to the image of a host. A host that is a gracious host. Such a gracious host that oftentimes in the Old Testament, you would possibly wash the feet of someone. But you would rarely, only if you have the resources, would you anoint someone. It would be fragrant. It would be something that someone could feel very at home in your space. He says, you anoint my head with oil. It is picturing God as a gracious host. But he also says, not only do you pour cup, pour wine in my cup. He says, my cup overflows. You ever gone to somebody's house that's a really, or apartment, that's a really gracious host. Come on in. Oh, t- take your shoes off. Come on, come on. Okay, now get you something to eat. Get something to eat. Get something to eat. Okay. They get you some food. They sit you down. Don't, and then you say, hey, can I, can I help? No, don't you. Don't sit down. Get you something right here. Yeah, sit down. Come on, sit down. Relax, relax. Because all I want you to do is focus on the people and have a good time. Put the pressure on me. I- I'll take care of everything, right? And this imagery of this gracious Host, here's what the craziness of this psalm is. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so now he takes this idea of a host and he says, 
as you are in the crucible of a tense moment with an enemy, he will be a host for you in the time of need. And this host doesn't just have great wine in his cellar. He's got great peace. He's got great joy. And he says, your cup will overflow. And here is the question in the tension. The question is, because the text does not say, I prepare a table before your enemies. He says, I prepare a table before you in front of your enemies. And what he's saying is, as the table is before you, as the enemy is, you're in his presence. He's sitting there waiting to give you all the precious goodness of his abundant resources flowing before you. The question is, will you concentrate on the enemy or will you concentrate on the host? The host that has all this great, abundant resource for you. Or will the enemy intimidate you away from your gracious host that has more than enough for you? This is the tension point of abundance. You see, what we're talking about isn't just a mindset. We're talking about welcoming the presence of God in our lives and seeing that window into heaven and drawing from strength. Jesus would say in John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, now this he said about the spirit. Whom, he, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. If you notice there, he says, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. If you believe. And what he is essentially saying is, the Spirit of God is our access to this God of abundance that wants all this goodness to flow in our lives. The abundant mindset then is not just thinking a different way, but it's accepting the invitation of this host in the crucible of tense moments. It causes us, if you notice there in John 7, what is repeated is this idea of believing. It makes you wonder, what is it that you believe about God? And what is it that you don't believe about God when you're in the crucible of tense moments and you're only focused on enemies and not the gracious host? Why do you keep focusing on enemies? Why is scarcity the pattern of your heart? It's really what you believe about God. It is true, as I said, that Jesus was talking about abundance while living homeless. It is true that you will face all types of challenges in life. None of you are truly secure. We were talking about this new location. And we were talking about the contract we were creating with our uh, landlord there. And we were like, well, what if he, we should put something in there. We, what if he raises the rent? Meaning, what if he actually makes us pay what we're supposed to be paying? Praise God. But what if he, what if he raises, what if he raises the rent? And what if? And I just said, you know, I, everything's fragile. My rent's fragile. My health is fragile. My job is fragile. I mean, 
Y'all were like, I can't wait to come back to church. I was like, I can't wait for y'all to come back to church. This is my job. (laughs) This is my job. I don't know if you know that. Everything is fragile. Everything. We, we, we had a holiday party. Had to cancel that. Everything's fragile. You got to accept everything's fragile. God is secure. It's until you get to that place that you, you will start to start. You, it, the worst thing you could do is gain confidence from a fragile thing. Everything's fragile. This church, thank you. We thank you for this space. They could change tomorrow. Well, I hope they don't. But everything is fragile. Only God is truly secure. We are on a Calvary road. So listen to what Jesus says, uh, says, says about himself. He says in John 10, 10, the thief only comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now I want you to, I want you to notice something. Here he is essentially talking about thieves who rob and take sheep. But in order to do that, they have to gain the confidence of the sheep. So Jesus saying thieves come to steal is like saying water feels wet, right? Or that the sun feels warm. We already know that. His point is, is that these kind of thieves come across like they're beneficial to them. And so he says thieves come to steal, kill, and they only come to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but now here's the contrast. I have come that they might have life and and have it more abundantly. And so look back at that table where there's enemies and there's this gracious host. Oftentimes, we just don't look like the things in front of us are an enemy. They can be attractive to us. Draw us away from this gracious host. Draw us away from the abundant life giver. And it is with that that we have to come back and just understand God is abundant. It is not, he does not just want you to be abundant. He is abundant. And you are his child. Now, until you can get that in your mind, you won't fully get it. He's abundant. You are his child. My youngest daughter, I take her to school every morning. And we try to dress her up. You know, she looks cute. But man, there are some kids that walk up in there fresh to death. <laughs> Do you know what the kids I'm talking about? Okay. Hair fresh. Part done. Jays clean. Every time. Every time. I mean, you just like, look at, look at, look at Timmy. Look, look at him. Look at him. And he's like, <laughs> this is the cocoa butters just shining off this kid. He doesn't dress himself. The way he looks says more about his parents than him. It's not about him. It's about his parents. And until you understand that you you will have an abundant life when you continually understand, I am a child of the God of abundance. The Bible says in Ephesians, in Ephesians, it talks about how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing and he has lavished them on us. 
And we, know, we normally don't use the word lavish. But the one way, one, we, we, one phrase we generally, generally use lavish for is lavish wedding. And man, I, you know, I did a lot of weddings during the pandemic. And you know what was a funny conversation? This is generally a funny conversation. Is when I sit down with a couple and they start talking about the wedding. And the guy is always like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about having like 40, 50 people. You know what I'm saying? Have some, my cousin can make a barbecue. You know what I mean? Oh, my homie, he could do the DJ. And the, the lady, the girl is always like, excuse me? Uh, and she's thinking grandiose. She's thinking big. But guess who else is thinking big? Her parents. Oftentimes they are thinking amazing, astounding, wonderful. I remember one of the first tense moments we got into when we were sitting there getting ready for her wedding, our wedding, her wedding, amen. Um, when we started, we were, her mom and her were talking about the napkins. The things you use to wipe your mouth and throw them in the trash. And they literally had this huge book. They were like, uh. And they were like, okay, what font do we want to have on the napkins? I was thinking like this. And I'm and I so I made a joke. <laughs> Amen. I made a joke. And I was like, are we talking about napkins? Like, we're gonna throw them out, right? I mean, we might as well have them just. I said, I'll write on them. <laughs> so, so talk about bad timing. <laughs> Lasers just beaming through my soul, and and it's and because here's the thing I didn't understand, and this is what I explained to couples: her parents and her family have been thinking about this day ever since she was a baby, and they want to put their child on display. So you better get those napkins. You better get that overpriced cake. If, especially if the parents are paying for it, praise God. That's a whole other conversation about budgets. It's never about the child. It's always about the parents. God lavishes his love on you because he wants to glorify himself. He lavishes peace on you because he wants to glorify himself. He lavishes joy on you. Because he wants to glorify himself. He's not just having you have a better day. He wants you to reflect the better God. He wants people to see him through you. That's the abundant mindset. And it is with that, when you start to transition your thought process, and you start to see the abundant life is coded in his promises, in his plan, not in your capacity, but in himself. You start to, of course, the script. You have to rework the script that flows so effortlessly in your mind. You say things like, I don't have enough time. But God can make the time. I have literally been in moments where I've said to myself, I don't, I don't think I have enough time for this. And I've just seen God stretch time. I've seen him do it. 
I've seen him, I've seen him create peace in me in the moments of very tense moments. You think about your resources and money. You say, I don't have enough money, but God has all the money you will ever need. And if he want, and if it's if he wants you to have it, it's yours. I'll never forget that. Uh, just a side note, when, when we were looking for a building and we were on building like 999,999, like I couldn't believe how many buildings we looked for. I'll never forget a guy said, well, if God wants you to have it, it's yours. And I was like, that's true. And there are things, part of the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset is you presume because you want it, it should be yours. And it, yet certainly, certainly there are desires you have. But God is not limited. He is unlimited. And yet he does allow us to live in limits. You might think, I don't have enough contacts. But God is in control of your level of influence. You think to yourself, I don't have enough knowledge. But God can lead you to the right plan of education, whatever you need. God has it all. And he is gracious. And he lavishes us in his goodness. Now we think, lastly, just for a second, about how do we access this from a practical standpoint. The Spirit of God has been given to all of those whom would believe. And his spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and he lives with inside of us. The Bible says if we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature of the flesh. The Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. So we want to be able to access the spirit on a more consistent basis, moment by moment in our lives. Where does that begin? Well, the, the, the spirit of God is a power source for us to have patience exude from us, kindness exude from us. And Paul says something very interesting in the book of 2 Timothy. He, he's talking about false teachers. But in talking about false teachers and people who will be wayward from the faith, he talks about all, they'll, they'll be heartless, they'll lack character, they won't listen to parents. But here's what he says in 2 Timothy 3 and 5. He says, they'll have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. They'll have the appearance of godliness. Now, what is godliness? Godliness is devotion in action. Godliness is when you have a consistent posture towards God that carries you throughout the day that then infuses itself in your character. Godliness does come across in the look, but it's birthed out of consistent devotion to the Lord. And what we are trying to ignite your year off with is a godly posture of devotion of coming back to him day after day, moment by moment, building your character out of the spirit of God and the presence of God. And I was telling this uh, to somebody the other day. The fruit of the spirit is not me thinking I'm patient. It's my wife thinking I'm patient. Because the fruit is a communal idea. And if it was just about looking different, they would call it the leaves of the spirit. 
so we would look different. But it's the fruit of the Spirit because oranges are best understood in orange juice, not just on the orange tree. And so the, the reality is godliness has a look, but it has to have that power source. And the power of godliness is when you let the Spirit of God be your moment-by-moment -moment resource in front of enemies, in front of friends, where your, the kindness of your life flows from that. Could it be, functionally, that you've spent much of your walk with God trying to look patient, but you're not actually patient? You, you've, you've cultivated certain patterns to look kind. You've got enough social etiquette and religious practice to look like you have joy. But in reality, what you have possibly learned is the appearance of abundance, but you live by the power of scarcity. Deep down, you're really afraid of life. Deep down, you're not sure if you'll be provided for. Scarcity drives your actual hustle. And your, your boss says, you're doing so well. You're performing. You're doing more than everyone else. He doesn't really care, nor does he realize that you are driven by the fears of who you were when you were five years old. And you are still looking for approval. And so you have the appearance of godliness. But you have not accessed the real power. The power of godliness is drawing on the source of heaven and letting that be produced in your life. Instead of having a performance where you look patient but you cuss under your breath. This is religiosity at its best. And religiosity is very manageable. Take it from me. Because I know how to look patient. I do. I even know. I have ways I contort my face. Oh, oh really? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm wilding on the inside. And the, and the truth is, you've been heard a lie. Like, you've been told a lie. Like, you heard fake it till you make it. What if you're faking it and not making it? Like, what if, what if you're performing, but all you're doing is giving people the appearance but you're not really drawing on God's power. See, God's power will make you patient when you have no patient left. God's power will make you kind. In the, see, the thing that I believe the Spirit of God has taught me in the worst of moments is perspective. When I sit with the Lord, do you know what he gives me more than anything else? Perspective. And he helps me to see people like he sees people. He helps me to love people like he would love people. The Spirit of God gives me his kindness, not my own. You see, appearance of godliness is just repackaging your performance in a way that looks kind. 
But the spirit of God giving you kindness is, you know what happens at the end? You walk out, you go, that was the Lord. <laughs> oh, praise you, Father, that, for that was you. <laughs> Shoot. When you know it was him, you walk, out of, you walk out of meetings praising God, not just upset. Because you know he carried your words. He carried you. And so I want you all to begin to think about what do I need to take out of my life and what do I need to provide in my life in order to have a godly posture. Godliness comes from the Lord. My devotion this year, prioritizing that. The way our series will flow, we talked a little bit about godliness today. We'll have a 21-day devotional that will talk a little bit more about godliness in there. But godliness flows from the Lord. So think of it this way. Godliness flows from heaven. Windows of heaven. Godliness. When you start operating godliness, what happens in your mind? Gratitude. You start thinking about God differently. You start thinking about your circumstances differently. Gratitude. Then thirdly, you start to flow into your heart gladness. You start to be able to take the hard things in life and still see godly perspective. And then what flows lastly is generosity. The God of abundance flows to you and through you so that you might be abundant to others. It starts with godliness, though. It starts with devotion. So as we um, end our time today, the the question that I really think we have to ask ourselves, even as you want to generate more godliness in your life and have this devotion The question you want to ask yourself is going back to what David said in Psalm 23. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. How can I tell? Well, he leads me to still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, he said, the Lord's my shepherd based upon the results I've seen. You are sheep. The Lord's just not always your shepherd. Someone is guiding you. And who's ever been feeding you is actually leading you. Someone is leading you every day. In other words, you may not have had a devotional all week with the Lord, but you've had a devotional with someone. Something actually leads you to some kind of water. The raging waters of culture, the raging waters of the latest news, the raging waters of what's happening in in this person's life and that person's life. It may not be green pastures and it may not be still waters, but you have a shepherd. And all we're saying today is if you want the abundance of the gracious hosts, you have to replace the shepherd you've been following. You must identify Who tends to lead me when it's not the Lord? Who tends to guide my heart and my mind when it's not the Lord? Make a decision for 21 days. I want to call out the thief. I want to call out the one that's been stealing. And I want to replace them. And so identify it. Be clear. And decide to have that godly devotion. And then... you'll be able to see the results. Well, look, I look back over the year. I've been still waters, green pastures, paths of righteousness. 
Father, we thank you for your grace, your beauty, and your love over our lives. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to even now guide us, teach us, show us your ways. Show us who it is that's been feeding us. Show us who it is that's been leading us. And guide us, God, to your waters, to your pasture, for your righteousness' sake. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.